Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Now is where we begin in the book of Joshua to start fast-forwarding things and start giving uh, some summary tips. As we approach the book of Joshua, we're in the series of Judges, and we're trying to explore Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel. We're examining them, how they happen in history and how they happen in order. And in the book of Joshua, we see the book of victory, that what happened is as they follow the Lord out of obedience, God gives them victory after victory after victory. And as they've crossed the Jordan River, we see their military campaigns. We've already explored the central military campaign as they conquered Jericho, they conquered Ai, and they continued to move forward. They made agreements with the Gibeonites, which we saw in the last chapter. Remember, the Gibeonites came and they fooled the children of Israel, and that the children of Israel failed to seek counsel from God. They failed to pray. And now there's consequences that remain that are going to linger uh, further on in history. But they have already conquered the central campaign. We're going to mention briefly about some of the beginnings of the southern campaign. And then we're going to, I'm just summarizing right now, that in the next chapter they're going to talk about the northern campaign. But basically they spend five years conquering the land. Now that's pretty amazing to conquer the land in five years back in uh, 1441 B.C., somewhere around that time. So uh, basically, 3,000-something years ago, that's quite a long time, they, um, they are, the Bible has recorded their military campaigns. Now, if I was in a Bible college setting and making you uh, learn about each of those campaigns, I may take my time. But in a church setting, because we want to give you a survey, give you a gleaning of the Word of God and apply things, what I'm doing is I'm basically telling you about the military campaigns. And we're going to put our attention on one certain event that happened in the midst of the southern campaign. And we find it recorded in the book of Joshua in chapter number 10. The book of Joshua in chapter number 10. And if you don't mind, look at me with me in Joshua chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. Joshua chapter 10 in verse number 1, the Bible says this. Now it came to pass when Adonisdik, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king, so that he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, and one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horem, king of Hebron, and to Phiram, king of Jarmuth, and under Japhia, king of Lachish, and a Debir, the king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me, and help me, that we may smite Gibeon. For it, had been, for it made peace with the, 
uh, Joshua and the children of Israel. Wherefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went and they and all their host and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of, to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites have, that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not. For I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not be a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomforted them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them among the way that goeth to Beth Haran and smote them to Ezekiah and unto Mekedah. And it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel, and were in going down to Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them to Hezekiah, and they died, and there were more that died with the hailstones than they that slew the, ch- that the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day which the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Joshua chapter 10 and verse number 13? Joshua chapter 10 and verse 13, where it said, the sun stood still, the sun stood still. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach to you about this day that occurred, the day the sun stood still. The day the sun stood still. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. And as we come up to you now, I'm just asking that you would just... Open up our hearts, open up our minds. Let us have a good understanding of this passage. I'm asking that you would just make it clear that it'd be exciting as we see that you're the God who does hear and answer prayers. That would encourage us to trust you even more. Lord, I'm very conscious I need your strength. I have no strength in myself. Lord, I need your physical help. I need your mental help. Lord, I need it all. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you now. Then I give you my thoughts, my opinions, my desires, what I want to get accomplished, my ambitions. Fill me with your precious spirit. You just get your own work accomplished through your precious word now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we study the book of Joshua, I want to remind you that it's the book of victory. And that the victory is found within Jesus Christ. That we have a mighty God who's able to do so 
much. And we can depend on that God. And we can trust that God. And he can do even the miraculous. Do you realize that God has not lost his power? It has not diminished. It has not gone away. That the same God who spoke the worlds into the universe. He still has that same power. He hasn't lost it. And that's the same God that you and I still serve. He's still a miracle working God. He is still a prayer answering God. But you know what happens, dear friend? Is that we fail to pray. All failures are prayer failures. You have not because you ask not. And we ask amiss, the Bible talks about. That, you know, we fail to pray. The biggest weapon that we have is prayer. But it's something we neglect the most. Why is it that people don't pray? One of the basic reasons is because we don't think it matters. That's why we don't pray. We, our prayers, eh, it's no big deal if I pray or not. If we honestly believe that our prayers really worked, we would pray more. We would. If we really thought our prayers mattered. So what I want to encourage you through in this Old Testament passage, that this isn't a story about Joshua and how mighty he is and what a great leader he was. This is a story about a prayer answering God. Who's able to fight our battles for us. Who's able to get things accomplished. And that he wants us to have victories. Even victories that seem impossible. God is able to do so. And so if you don't mind. I'd like to talk to you. And preach to you about this battle. And encourage you leading up to this day. That the sun stood still. The first thing I'd like to bring your attention to. Is this attack on Gibeon. This attack on Gibeon. Now the Canaanites in the area had heard. How Joshua had destroyed Jericho. They had heard about how he destroyed Ai. He had heard about all the things that that had happened under Joshua's leadership. About really what God had done. Now they heard about Gibeon. Had joined forces with the children of Israel. And they were scared because Gibeon was a bigger city than Ai. It was a bigger city than Jericho. It was one of the royal cities. In fact, it wasn't just a city. It had suburbs around it. that uh, A big city-state. And they were afraid. They're like, how can we beat these people? Well, the best thing they could think of is might makes right. If we get more people on our side, then we could overcome you. So what happened is that the, the king of Jerusalem went and wrote letters to the king of Hebron, the king, this king and this king and this king. And he wrote them letters and he said, basically, guys, we're in trouble. The only thing that we can do to protect ourselves is if we join forces and we take the fight to them. In fact, notice what the Bible says in chapter number 10 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass when Adonizek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to, the, to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, and as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. This has the idea that these were experienced soldiers. How in the world are we going to fight against Gibeon and these experienced soldiers? They've just added to the ranks. They've supplemented it. There's no way we can fight against them. It said that they feared greatly. Fear could be a great motivator, especially when you don't have Christ to trust on. You have to trust in your own strength, your own might, your own power. And so they said, we're going to do what man can do. 
he wrote letters and said, join us, join us. This is the only hope we have. If we're apart, they could pick us off one by one. Maybe if we're all together, we could make a stand and we could fight against them. So wherefore, Adonizek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Horam, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Dibir, the king of Eglon, come up to me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it made peace with Joshua, the children of Israel. Now this is why we call it the southern campaign, because each of these cities, Jerusalem on down, these are all cities to the south of where Joshua had been going. He'd been taking a central campaign. Now these cities of the south had risen up and they're going to fight against Jerusalem. So they're going to gain all their armies. They're going to meet at Jerusalem once they gathered up all their armies. Now they're going to march together. And they go and they encamp around Gibeon and make war against it. In verse number 5 it speaks about that. So basically what they did is they took their armies and they're besieging the city. Basically they're sitting outside the walls of the city. They're attacking the walls. But more importantly they're not allowing deliveries. So the Walmart truck's not getting in. The gas trucks aren't getting in. You know, We're being facetious. But basically they're not allowing supplies in or out. Whatever they have within the city walls, that's all they can have. Basically, they're trying to starve them out while they're also trying to break down the walls. So hopefully by the time they break down the walls, the people inside will be so demoralized. They'll be so defeated, so hungry, so thirsty, so starving that they would put up no fight whatsoever. And to have five kings and their armies, that's a big armies around them. Now notice what happens in verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not from thy hand from thy servants. Come to us quickly and save us, help us. For the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. Now, it doesn't go to the details, but you know what's occurring here? That you have five armies outside the city of Gibeon that are, are besieging it. Now, the armies chose to attack Gibeon because it's the weakest link. Remember, Joshua, they don't have cities with walls. They're out in the open. But still, they saw Gibeon as the weakest link. We're not going to touch Joshua. We're going to take this town. We know it has walls. But we have a better chance about fighting them than we do against their God. And so they attacked the city. And they attacked the city with the walls. So people of Gibeon, they actually have to smuggle out messengers. It's not like they could walk out and say, all right, I need to go to the next town. See you later. They had to sneak past the walls, past the armies, and sent messengers running to get to Joshua. Remember, it's about three days journey. So they travel from Gibeon, get to Gilgal, the headquarters of Joshua and the children of Israel. And they said, help us, please. We made an agreement. You said that you're going to be part of us, or that we're going to be a part of you, that we're going to be your servants. We're in trouble. Help us, please help us. So we could see the attack on Gibeon and that the Gibeonites sent to Joshua for help. Next, we see the attack by Joshua. We first of all see the city of Gibeon there being attacked. Now Joshua responds, they've been asked for help. How does Joshua respond? Verse number 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, for I have delivered them into thy hand. Therefore shall not a man of them stand before thee. 
You see, Joshua learned his lesson here. He prayed to God. All right, God, we're gathering up our armies. We made an agreement. But God, should we go? And Joshua, or God says, you're clear. He says, there's not a single guy who's going to stand before you. No one who's going to raise their fists and say, oh, yeah. He says, I've got them handled. I've got them defeated. You go ahead and go out. You got my permission. So number nine, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal. Notice this all night. Remember, it was a three-day journey we saw in the last chapter from Gilgal to Gibeon. Joshua (coughs) hurried his troops. He gathered up all of his army, got permission. They marched all day and they marched all night to get to Gibeon. You say he marched his troops all night? Yes. You see how serious he was about obeying the Lord and to help his allies out? Is that they didn't camp over the night. They traveled all day and all night to finally get to Gibeon to surprise them, to get them going. Now, that's some dedicated troops there, isn't it? He, he's getting them to go. Some of you get cranky about 9 o'clock at night and say, I need tired, I need sleep. But here, they march all day and all night with the purpose that in the morning, they're not getting a rest, but they're going immediately into battle. Now, again, God's going to have to give them some strength and sustaining. But Joshua is saying, we're obeying now. We're not hesitating. We are told to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Verse number 10. And the Lord discomforted them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them among the way that goeth to Beth and smote them to Hezekiah. And to Mechida. So basically Joshua and his troops. They come to Gibeon by night. As the morning starts hitting. Joshua and his soldiers arrive. They had rushed. They made a day, uh, three days journey. Within a full day and a night. They were, they were doing a quick march. They hurried up and got there. By the morning they got there. They began to fight. And. Not only are they fighting, they're winning. They attack the five armies and the five armies are being slaughtered and they start running. They start bailing. They said, I forget this. And they start taking off. So Joshua has done his part, but it's not done yet. We see the attack on Gibeon. We see the attack on Joshua. Now we see the attack by God. God steps in. Joshua comes with his troops. They begin to slaughter. But notice with me in verse number 11. It says, and it came to pass as they, the armies, the enemy armies, fled before Israel and were going down to Beth Haran that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Hezekiah. And they died and they were more which died with the hailstones than they which the children of Israel slew with the sword. So remember, Joshua and his army had traveled all day, all night. And guess what? They fought all day. And they began to slaughter the people's army, uh, the the enemy's armies, the Amorite armies. They began to kill them, began to uh, massacre them. They, They killed a lot of the enemy soldiers. The enemy soldiers said, forget this. They start running. They start heading back down south. And Joshua and his army, as the people began to flee... They're going to have to rest. We understand they they can't keep going with this pace. So they rest. But what happens if they rest? The enemy is going to get away. So they're resting. But God says, don't worry about Joshua. I got this. And so as the enemy army is starting to head away, 
This is allowing Joshua and his army to rest all night. A storm comes. And as the people are running, the storm starts coming and hailstones begin to come. And there are more people killed by this hailstorm than what was killed by Joshua and his army. Why? Because God says, don't worry about this, Joshua. I got them. They're not getting away. You know what's happening? The enemy army is not going to be able to retreat that far. I mean, now they're being killed by hailstones. They're finding any shelter they can. That means they're not running away. They're trying to hole up and try to stay protected. God is not only killing them, but he's keeping them corralled so they can't get away. And he's destroying all of these these enemy armies and people are dying with the hailstones. God's fighting for them. Hey, if God's for you, who could be against you? Look at what God is doing. He is slaughtering these armies. He's defeating the enemy. He's doing more than Joshua and his soldiers did in the first place. Well, the next morning, the storm dissipates. And guess what happens? Notice in verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day which the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. He said in the sight of Israel, Son, be thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon the enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. So as God begins to to fight and he begins to destroy the hell, uh, destroy the enemy with the hailstones, the storm dissipates, the morning light begins to hit. Joshua is emboldened and he realizes that God was serious, he wants to wipe them all out. He does not want the enemy to get away. And guess what? God has protected them. He's kept the enemy from fleeing too far away. And so Joshua, knowing that God has given him orders to wipe them all out, he gives a prayer, an impossible prayer, a majorly impossible prayer. He says, son, don't go down until we've destroyed them all. The day that the the sun stood still. Now, that's a pretty emboldened prayer. He stood before all of children of Israel, by the way. This wasn't in private prayer. He said this out loud in front of everyone. Sun, don't move. Moon, don't move. Keep them up until we've destroyed them all. And it did. God answered prayer. And it was for the purpose to allow Joshua to clean up everything. Now, how did this work? This is where some of the scientific stuff goes in. We understand that the sun is in the center of our solar system and that the the earth rotates around the sun. We also know that as the earth is rotating around the sun, the earth is also spinning. Someone was asking a question, well, did everything in the universe stop? Did he kind of just say freeze? Uh, how did this work? Well, we understand that our universe is a very finely tuned machine. It is a machine. And that everything is working perfectly. If the sun was, or the earth was to completely stop in orbit, it would have dramatic, uh, drastic effects upon all of the earth. Well, the same thing is if the, the uh, earth was spinning around. And if it suddenly stopped, 
What would happen is that there would be tidal waves, there would be all kinds of things occurring, uh, all kinds of natural disasters. So the sun, uh, the earth didn't stop rotating around the sun. By the way, the earth didn't stop rotating. What it did is it slowed down. So that way there would be only minimum effects. So what happened is that instead of a normal 12-hour sunlight day, you would see the sun rise and fall in a 12-hour period, what happened is that it took about 28 hours from sunrise to sunset. Someone was saying, this is the first, world's first jet lag. Could you imagine? And the sun's straight up, but it's like you're 9 o'clock at night, you're midnight, and you're tired. It's almost like being in Alaska playing midnight baseball games or something, you know. Can you imagine being up in Alaska during, uh, during the summer where the sun doesn't set? Some of you, you wouldn't survive that well, especially in the opposite, up in... Uh, in Alaska during the winter months when the sun doesn't rise. Some of you would have some problems with that. But this is disconcerting. Can you imagine being an enemy and you don't know what's going on? And why isn't the sun going down? Man, it's been up. It, my watch is off. Something's going wrong. This is a long day. It's a day that won't end. That sun, it, the sun what happened is that the earth is still rotating, but it's rotating slower. Now, how do, why do I say that instead it didn't stop? At the end of verse 13, it says, So the sun stood in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down a whole day. That word hasting, the wording of it, carries the idea that it's still spinning, but it's not in a hurry to go down. So it's still spinning, so that way we're not having the natural disasters and everything else. It just slowed down for a period of time. And just enough for God to answer his prayer. And that the Earth slows down a little bit. You have a 28-hour sunlight from dawn to the setting of the sun. And God is allowing Joshua to use this time to conquer and destroy all of those people. Now, that's pretty amazing. Notice in verse 13. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. That literally, that, that long day... Now. I want you to think about Joshua and an army. They're still probably tired. They marched all day. They marched all night. They fought all the next day. They got some sleep during the hailstorm. But now as the sun rises again, they're going to fight for a 28-hour day, conquering, finding people, finding their hidey holes, dragging them out, destroying the entire enemies, destroying them all. They're conquering the cities. They go and... And find the guys hiding in caves. They go uh, pull them all out. They find the five kings. They do all of this. And this is an amazing thing. Now I want to hit something that the text hits. That's going to be a little bit side. But it's important to hit verse 13. And the sun stood still and the moon assuaged. Until the people avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down a whole day. Now, this book of Jasher actually causes problems to people. And they're saying, no, we've lost a book in the Bible. Look, here's a book. It says the book of Jasher. Someone tore out our Bible. Don't panic. Don't worry. Remember, the Bible is God's written revelation of himself. 
and that God has chosen to reveal himself through his word, and that we have 66 books in the Bible that reveal who God is. Remember that each one of these 66 books gives us something special and unique about God. That's why we need to know all 66 books and be familiar with them, because it's like having a puzzle. Have you ever put together a puzzle and then you were missing three pieces at the end and it did not work? No! Well, that's why you need to have all 66 books. Each 66 books, each one of them, tells us something special and unique about God. And all 66 books gives us God's complete revelation of himself. That God has chosen to reveal himself. And by the way, we have everything that God has chosen to reveal himself. Now, someone says, well, what about the book of Jasher? It's mentioned here. Well, the book of Jasher was a history book. You know what it's doing? Is it saying, hey, we're not just saying this in the Bible. You can look at other history books. You can look at other sources. And they record this special event. Now, isn't that great confirmation? One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it's confirmed. It means it's confirmed by history. It's confirmed by archaeology. It's confirmed by science. That the things that the Bible says is confirmed to be true. You know what we could do? We know that there were different cultures living at the time. We have the Egyptians. We have the Assyrians. We have the Persians. We have the Babylonians. We have the Greeks. We have the Romans. We have uh, different cultures living within them. And you know what? Many people had writing systems. And many of them kept history. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we can look and compare other people's history and see that the Bible is true? That's all it's saying. It's saying, go look in this history book over here and you'll see a secondary source that this is a big major event. You know, it's one thing for me to say, you know, there was one day where God answered a prayer and he lasted one day to last two or three days. Well, you could snicker at me and say, yeah, right. How do you know that? Well, I wrote about it in my diary. Well, good. But if it's confirmed by another source then you know what? It's, it, it's more evidence to it. There's more eyewitnesses to it. That's all. This is a big major event. This is something that lasts around the world. I want you to think about the Americas. If you take Israel and you look all the way around, you might come to the Americas. Imagine the people who's living in the Americas at this time. You know what? Israel had 28 hours of sunlight. They had 28 hours of darkness. Oh, what is this? What happened? Who turned off the lights? Where'd the sun go? I mean, wouldn't that be a problem? I mean, this affected the whole world. So God is just saying here, this is confirmed by other sources. You know what? This is proof again. The Bible is not a mythology and it's not a fairy tale. It is history. And it can be confirmed by other sources that this isn't someone's imagination that someone made it up. But it's history. So don't get all frenzied that God lost a book. We know that the book of Jasher, it no longer exists. It was lost in about 6th century BC. Today there is a couple, two different books that claim to be the book of Jasher. And they can do some history. They don't line up with the Bible completely. But they can give us a little bit of history and what's going on. But they're not the same books. But God did not lose books of the Bible. He did not misplace them. He promised that he would preserve them for every generation. Uh, so don't get hung up on this and say, no, I don't have the book of Jasher. I need to study this. I know that there's many people who are looking for the gospel of Barnabas and the gospel of Judas Iscariot and whatever else. 
those are not misplaced books. There's no such thing that this is just confirming that there's other history books that confirm this major event that it just didn't affect Israel in its history. It affected the entire world and that we have confirmation. This was a true historical event that other people, they may not know why the sun's staying still. They may not know why all this darkness is here, but they can confirm this happened and it was observed And they didn't know exactly what's going on, but it happened. So this should give confirmation that the Bible is true. But we have a God who hears and answers prayer. Notice in verse 14. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened to the voice of man. For the Lord fought for Israel. You know what we have here, friend? We have a God who hears and answers prayer. Not only a God who hears and answers prayer, he's a God who can answer big prayers. Not only is he a God who can answer big prayers, he's a God who could do the impossible. You know one of the biggest impossible things that God can do? Is he could take someone who sinned against God, who rebelled against God, who shook his fist at God, and said, I don't want you in my life. Leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. And still offer him salvation forgiveness of sins full free and forever you know that is one of the biggest miracles that he could do is he could change my life and he could change your life and it's not because of something you did it's because christ liveth in me that's the biggest thing to think that i can have fellowship with a real and living god What an amazing thing that God is true, that God can save me. He can change me from the inside out. That is a huge miracle. We still have a God who can answer impossible prayers. But I want to remind you that we have not because we ask not. You know, sometimes we're afraid to ask God for impossible prayers. You know, we could we could ask God for certain things like. God, I need $5 to pay this thing. Can you give it to me? We could trust God for $5. But you know, it's just as much of a miracle. It's just as much in God's power to give us $5 as it is to give $5,000. Just zeros. But God's not broke. He has all. He has it available. It just takes just as much faith just to trust God. It's us that doubts God. God is able to work. He's able to heal. He's able to do things. Now, let me tell you, I don't have any healing power. I can't touch you. My shadow has nothing. You can't walk in with it and go, woohoo. But God is able to do stuff. God is able to heal. He's able to do miracles. He's able to deliver. He's able to change hearts. He's able to do so much. But because of our finite minds, we limit God and say, there's no way God can do this. There's no way God could do this. Many of us have loved ones that we know aren't currently following God. And you know what? Sometimes we think it's impossible. There's no way they'll ever change. And so we stop praying for them. We stop asking for God to change their heart. Sometimes we look at things like we need $7,500 to do this out here and pastor wants it by the spring. That's beyond what we can do. God can do it. It's nothing to him. It's a drop in the bucket. Just nothing to him. But we can pray. What's the impossible thing that you can trust God for? What's the impossible thing? The improbable thing? The thing that you say there's no way it can happen. 
What would stop you from asking God? Remember, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. The Bible speaks about that. God is a great God. He is an amazing God. And we can pray and we can trust in Him. Just, we fail to pray for Him. We have not because we ask not. Our prayer lives suffer because we, we limit God and what He can do. Sometimes we look at our bills and we say, it's so overwhelming, there's no way I can get it done. It's no problem if you give it to God. We may look at family members say, there's no way I could change them. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. God can do it. Now, I understand I'm not saying there's no instant fixes. Sometimes God wants us to wait. Sometimes God has a plan and we just haven't caught up to it yet. But we can trust him to work. We can trust him to work. God can do the impossible. God can work. He can supply. He, could, he can meet our needs. He can do all kinds of things. He can do things above and beyond. We could just look up. Now, we've got to understand God's will. You know, you could pray for the red Ferrari all you want. But if it's not God's will, you're not getting one. You understand? But we're talking about things that we know that is God's will. Do you believe it's God's will for everyone to come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior? Absolutely. Then can we pray for someone that may seem impossible? There's no way they're ever going to come to church. We could pray and God could work. Do you believe that God has the ability to heal? What about people that has sickness? Could we not pray? Now, I understand that God doesn't heal everyone, but God heals a whole bunch of people. And we have not because we ask not. You may look at your finances and say, man, I don't have $5, much less $5,000. I don't know how it's going to work together. God's able to supply. God's able to work. God can do so much if we would just trust him. Remember, God has never lost his power. So what am I trying to get across to you today? I'm trying to remind you that we have a big God who's able to answer big prayers. The problem is, is that we just fail to pray. We fail to trust God. We fail to lift him up. We fail to allow him the opportunity to answer our prayers. So what is it, dear friend, that is the impossible that you're praying for right now. Who is it that's that lost one. Or that one that's not where he should be in the Lord. That you say it's impossible. Can you trust God to turn him around. To turn her around. What is it that need that you have that seems so impossible. Or that goal that you have so impossible. You know I tell you folks all the time that. If you guys knew all the stuff that was in my head, um, you guys would be scared. You know, one of the things I want to have one day is a Bible Institute. I want to be training men and women for the ministry. But you know what? That takes a lot of finances, take land, take all that other stuff. You, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, only God can do that. Man, I would love to have a printing press. I would love to have that set up, you know, and say, how in the world? Well, it just so happened that yesterday... One of the printing presses at Oshkosh with Bearing Precious Seed, they said, we're giving this press away. And I said, hmm, look at this now. And people stopped me and said, we don't have anywhere to put it. We don't have anyone. Okay. But, you know, God's able to do stuff like that. You know how much a printing press costs? A whole bunch. You know, yesterday was just evidence that he's able to do some. You know, he's able to deliver. He's able to put it in our hands. He's able to do that stuff. We could trust him. You know, we could step out by faith and trust him. Sometimes when you step out by faith, you're hanging on a branch 
And that the only help that you have is if God comes. That's where God wants us a lot of times. Where we're trusting him. And that the only way it's going to get done is if he does it. Now, I, I don't believe that means stepping into debt and doing all the other stuff. But there's things we could trust him with. I would love to have a brand new building. I would, you know, and we look and say, well, we could barely do this building. Well, you know, God could do so much. I, you know, I've been praying and said, I'd like to have a new building. I'd like to have a building where when we have fellowship meetings that some of our handicapped and our senior saints don't have to go all down all those stairs and whatever else. I'd like to have it so we have it leveled out. I love basements, but not for fellowship meetings. I mean, but, you know, we're praying for stuff, you know, and what's more impossible. I'd like to do it debt free. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. God's able to do things. He's able to work. We could trust him. If God wants us to have it, guess what? He's going to give it to us. We could just trust him and step up by faith. I have a God who is big and who is able and is able to do things. Man, I'd like to fill up this church and have seats in the aisles and stuff. And you say, well, don't you understand? We live in a day where people aren't going to church. God can work. He's able to work. There's nothing special about me. I just preach God's word. God could build his house. Anyone could build a crowd. Only God can build a church. And that's what we want. We want to have something that in 10 years time, five years time, people come to this church and say, how did this happen? How did this happen? The only thing we could do is say, God did it. <laughs> it wasn't us. It was God that did it. We want to be a people. By the way, we're talking about the whole theme of Joshua is victory in Jesus. Looking at the victory he has. The victory only comes from God. We can pray to God for the impossible, for the improbable, for the unlikely. And we have a God who is able. Can you trust that God? Now, you, you could say, well, preacher, you're talking about big ministry things. Well, bring it close to your home. You know what you need. You know the things that you have. Can you trust God? Can you at least trust him enough to say, God, I don't know how it's going to happen, but would you please do this? Will you please? I, I, it's impossible. You know, be honest with him. If you say, God, I doubt if this can happen, but at least give him the opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. Saying, God, I, it just seems impossible to me. But preacher said that I have to pray for something. So that I'm just going to. There's nothing wrong with that. Trust him. Give him the opportunity to prove himself. Some of you, I'm praying for you specifically impossible things that if I told you what I'm praying for you about, you're like, there's no way that's going to happen. I got a good God who's able to work. He's able to work. He's able to do things. Some of you might be carried here so far because I've already been praying for you. <laughs> God's a big God. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? What we're going to do now is we're going to have the invitation in just a second. And the first thing is that if you don't know Jesus Christ, your savior, I want you to trust him for the most impossible thing ever. And that is to forgive you of all of your sins, to cleanse you white as snow. That's the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you. Then other than that, dear friend, I want you to think, I want every one of you who trusted Jesus, your savior, I want every one of you to pull one thing that's impossible. And I want you to pray for that impossible thing. I want you to pray for that impossible thing every day. In fact, at the end of service, I'm going to give you something to remind you to pray for that impossible thing every day. 
And I want you to pray about it. And I want you, when it gets answered, I want you to be so excited that you're willing to testify and tell people, this is what God did. I need to bring back testimony time in our church services and stuff. So you could say and rejoice. Well, let's do that tonight. Rejoice on what God has been doing and how he's been answered prayer. If we're expecting victories, we need to tell people about the victories that we've got. I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.